Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. When somebody's having a mental health crisis and 911 gets called, there is a good chance that the police are going to show up, even if it's not what the person really needs. These days, a lot of people are imagining what it would be like if that wasn't the case. And one group in Sacramento isn't just imagining it. They're actually doing it. It can feel very overwhelming. It can feel um, scary to hold that phone. But think about who's going to get that call if you don't. And think about how much more qualified you are than these armed and geared up officers of the law. In January, members of the Anti-Police Terror Project launched a program called Mental Health First. It's staffed by volunteers who answer calls and respond to crises all night over the weekend. So today we're going to hear about how that program works and what we can learn from it. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. We have very um, broken systems of support that let many, many, many people fall through the cracks and into the cages um, or death and it's, it's not okay. We need to be catching each other. We need to be holding each other. Nikki Jones is a peer crisis counselor and volunteer coordinator with the Mental Health First program in Sacramento. Every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night, a small group of two to three volunteers work overnight as a crisis response team. Our goal is to bring trauma-informed, community-based, peer-driven intervention at a time when someone's at high risk of instead having police involvement. So 7 p.m. is our beginning when we know most resources are closed or inaccessible. 
showing up, um, signing in, getting you know into uniform, um, checking the phone for anything that may have happened throughout the week or throughout the day when we're um, not around to be able to follow up. Um, and then of course, uh, letting folks know, hey, we're here, we're open, you know, give us a call if you need support. And then there's some waiting. There's been shifts where I have no time to nap or no time to just like, you know, be looking up resources on the computer just, or doing any admin work, just answering calls. And then there have been shifts when, um, you know, each um, volunteer is able to sleep their full three hour shift. Right now, Mental Health First is made up of a few dozen volunteers who canvas, they do street outreach, and a lot of people find out about the program by word of mouth. Anyone can reach out to Mental Health First by calling the phone number, but many people connect via texting or social media like Facebook and Twitter. Nikki says her job is to be a first point of contact for somebody who needs help. It can look like someone who has been you know, recently in a, a family violence situation that needs to process and discuss and get some time away, safety plan, their next interaction with that family member. There have been times when, um, you know, folks are screaming or hollering in the street and a community member calls. There have been times when, you know, people want to end their life and um, they call or their loved ones call. And we talk through how reasonable that might feel, but how real and valuable people's lives are. And so once again, it's this life affirmation that is an intervention that the police do not use in their day-to-day workings and particularly in their interactions with people experiencing mental health crisis or domestic violence or uh, using drugs. And what's the range of things you do to respond other than communication? What kinds of resources do you either connect them to or do you ever have to call somebody else to get help? Uh, Right. So absolutely. I mean, we know that we're not an island and what we are is a bridge to a larger community of care, a system of care. Um, You know, we're there to provide client-centered interventions. So, you know, all the way from a bottle of water and snacks to um, transportation to the emergency department or the mental health urgent care. And, you know, people have to decide they, you know, we're asked regularly, can you can you give me resources who won't call the police? And that's a really tough one. It can feel very overwhelming. It can feel um, scary to hold that phone, um, to be perfectly honest, when you know what might come your way. But, you know, I let folks know that Think about what's happening right now. Think about who's going to get that call if you don't. And think about how much more qualified you are to hold your community member um, than these um, armed and geared up officers of the law. The idea of defunding the police and replacing it with something else has gotten a lot more attention ever since police killed George Floyd in Minneapolis last month. But the people who started Mental Health First have been thinking about this issue before that. The program was started by the Sacramento chapter of the Anti-Police Terror Project with the help of Asantua Boykin. She's an emergency room nurse and a co-founder of APTP. 
long before we decided to make or even embark upon making mental health first like an official thing there was just this thing that existed in our community where we just knew we took care of each other right so when one of our comrades was feeling suicidal or was um manic or depressed and not getting out of the bed our initial response was how do we support them through this and not how do we get them on a 5150 hold right and a 5150 call is a, is a vo- involuntary medical hold right yes and 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 just the fact that they call it that speaks to what their goal is in the interaction their goal is just to go in and determine whether or not they could um involuntary hold someone or not at some point we began to ask ourselves like okay and especially as more and more incidences of police murder happened and there was this common theme person was in the midst of a mental health crisis right or maybe they were um high on something right and the police weren't equipped nor had the desire right to deal with that in a way that was centered around care and subsequently that person ended up dead or injured because our the goal of anti-police terror project is to essentially dismantle oppressive systems we understood that this is a place that we needed to intervene and we were already doing it so give us a sense of what are some of the ways that calling mental health first is is totally different than calling 911 our goal is to get you from where you are to your next step and not to tell you what that step is but to help you determine what that step is and we actually call it self-determined um crisis management right because it's not our place to tell someone what they need to do but rather just to listen and kind of help them get through the fog right that they're in and determine what that next step is for themselves we also canvas is what we call it um other programs call it patrol we were like, we don't like that word. So um, we canvas. So we just kind of go out and meet folks where they're at. We give a lot of survival supplies to unhoused folks. Um, we have access to safe use supplies. We also have access to Narcan that we just um, make available to folks that are just out there. A, a lot a lot of the folks that we anticipate getting especially bystander calls from are folks that are unhoused. So we we kind of grappled with that and prepared for it from the beginning and understood that part of our service would be that like outreach component, right? And not just the waiting until someone's in crisis or waiting until someone's non-responsive and needing Narcan, but to just go out and build one, build relationship with those people so they know um, they know it's us, right? When they see us coming and, and they know that if someone calls mental health first, that help is coming and not handcuffs. And I know a lot of the volunteers have experience with mental health crises, and I know this program is relatively new, launched in January, but what kinds of research and or preparation did APTP do to make sure that this was the most effective program you could make? I think the best research one can have is lived experience, and second, um, listening. When we put together our dreaming session, we were intentional about having people from different um, professions, um, doctors, nurses, social workers, folks that use mental health services, activists, organizers, folks who had family members that, that deal with mental health crisis, 
because we didn't want to just like open a book and say, oh, this works or maybe that works. Right. But we really wanted to. And that's why we call it a dreaming session. Like imagine if 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 resources were endless, what could we build? And we had a really long list and we had to dwindle that list down to like four or five things that were practical. And that's how we started our framework. We do have two on-call doctors who are so committed. They are volunteers too. They have their pagers on them all night. Um, They will dispatch when they need to. Um, Just solid. We couldn't like do the work without them. And I think that's another thing that sets us apart from other programs. Um, They don't have on-call doctors in the same way that we do, Um, especially not the kind that dispatch. Did you also look to other models uh, around the country for developing the program? We did look at other models. Um, Unfortunately, the models that we found um, existed in places that had a lack of diversity. Um, So there was like no race class analysis along with their models. And they also largely remained um, dependent on police. Um, As a matter of fact, the, the models that we came across policy and procedure at the end of every sentence, there's an option to call 911. Um, and, and for us, that was not an option. And people can, t- it sounds like, tweet you, they can call in. Are there any other ways that they contact you? Yeah, um, we do not prefer to take calls um, via email. But we will, if someone emails us, we'll definitely respond. But um, direct message via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, We've had folks like tag us in posts where someone was um, displaying symptoms of being in a crisis, you know, and and was able to gain contact with the participant. Um, And that way, a lot of people, maybe it's just like a, a, a day in time, right? But we've text people for hours. Um, so whatever is comfortable to that person, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll do it. What role do you hope Mental Health First can play in continuing these conversations about alternatives to policing and making sure that these alternatives really result in something that's better in the end? I, I hope that we kind of light the way to what it looks like to have these programs in a population that is economically racially diverse, right? Um, a, a lot of the programs that, that, that we ran into during our research exist in places where like the black population was 0.2%, right? Um, where um, the native or Latinx populations were maybe 1%, right? And that looks a lot different, especially when we understand that like you're more likely to be harassed or murdered by the police, one, if you have a mental health issue, one, if you happen to be brown, if you happen to be black, or if you happen to be poor. So what I'm hoping we do is kind of shine a light and an example of what it looks like to do this work when your population is diverse, right? When you have to deal with um, cultural aspects, whether someone is documented or not documented, whether, right, all these different things that kind of come into play when you talk about like larger cities. What have you learned so far from the Mental Health First program? That it's needed, especially right now in today's climate when folks are thinking about, well, what else? If not the police, then who? If not handcuffs, then what? If not forced 
hospitalization, then what, right? And what I've learned is that we can do whatever we decide to. And that it really is people power that moves. It's people power that keeps us safe. And that if we're brave enough to dream, (laughs) if we're brave enough to dream, we can build something different. Asantawa says APTP has been in conversations with a couple of Bay Area health clinics in San Leandro and Oakland that are interested in learning more about the mental health first community model. Asantawa Boykin is co-founder of the Anti-Police Terror Project and the program director for the Mental Health First program in Sacramento. Thanks as well to Nikki Jones, who's a peer crisis counselor and volunteer coordinator. Mental Health First takes calls and texts from people in the Sacramento area. We're going to give you that number, which is 916-670-4062. You can also find them on social media. They are at MHFirstSAC. This episode of The Bay was produced by Erica Cruz Guevara and our editor, Alan Monticilio. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for us. We'll talk to you next time. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S.